It's a new year. 2020 has come and gone. And what a heavy year, huh? One for the books, I'm sure. As chaotic and busy or uncertain 2020 was, the wing did some amazing things. We can't forget that. And we shouldn't. Deployments, assignments, new missions, new records being set. All during a worldwide pandemic. It's pretty wild when you think about it. The amazing men and women of the main air guard have done amazing things in 2020 and we should reflect on that a little because amidst the busy workflow and trying times a proverbial phoenix has revealed itself the maniacs are stronger than ever and there's no sign of slowing down i'm master sergeant andy sinclair and this is episode 47 of the Maniac Radio Show, and the first episode of 2021. Let's talk about this past year. It's important that we do. Set the record straight for years to come so we can look back and reflect a little. Colonel Ian Gillis, the 101st Air Refueling Wing Vice Wing Commander, is going to speak to us, talk to us about our accomplishments, our feats. He's in a unique position, you know, having just taken over the vice, but having spent half of the year as the maintenance group commander, an organization that excels and thrives every day on its own. The way I look at it is that he was responsible for those who are responsible for keeping our birds flying high. Kind of a tongue twister there. But it's true. Senior Master Sergeant John Duplain, Public Affairs Superintendent, is going to do this interview. So, when you hear the voice change, don't be alarmed. Colonel Gillis, Vice Wing Commander. Let's bring him in. I am with uh, Colonel Ian Gillis today. He is our Vice Wing Commander, for those of you who uh, don't know or haven't seen him around. I think being in wing agencies, we had, we'd worked with you quite a bit in the past anyway from the time you were doing programs. When I left operations, I kind of moved into uh, wing plans, uh, was the chief of wing plans for a few years, uh, moved over to the IG for a couple of years, uh, and then back to wing plans. Uh, from there, I went down to Joint Force Headquarters in Augusta for a little while um, as an 06 down there. Um, most recently, came back to the maintenance group. Uh, had the pleasure of working with the, our maintenance professionals for uh, about a year and a half. Um, and then uh, General Roy moved on, um, and Colonel Barassa asked me to come up as the Vice Wing Commander. So uh, today, I, I speak to you as the Vice Wing Commander of the 101st. Right, yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, like I said, we, we've often seen you a lot just from, from the inner workings, but a lot of times when you work in plans too, you, we don't always, not everyone gets to see unless you're in 518 or 505 because you uh, you get locked up up there. So Yeah, locked behind uh, closed doors up there in the vault, so uh, yeah. they don't let us out much from, from plans. At least in the IG role, I did get to spend a little bit more time with the rest of the wing. So. Word on the street is that you were also an age mechanic at some point? Uh, yeah, so I started my career out here uh, over 32 years ago uh, in then Cameron uh, in the uh, aerospace ground equipment section. Uh, spent four years there while I was going to college um, and then was lucky enough to be selected for a pilot training slot and 
uh, went to training and pilot training and, and came back as an air crew member. Yeah, using, utilizing those benefits. Are you still qualified on age equipment? Sergeant Delisle <laughs> let you down there? <laughs> uh, when I was over in uh, the maintenance group, I did wander uh, down to the age shop, but they checked my OJT record and I was uh, I was non-current. So yeah. They didn't let me mess with too much, but uh, yeah, it was fun going back to maintenance. Uh, certainly, as the as the group commander there, kind of going back to my roots and uh, getting to see the organization again and be a part of that. Uh, certainly, one of uh, one of the most exciting times in my career was to going back and being a uh, part of that organization again. Yeah, it's fun to go back, and it's it's. Uh... And you know they're uh, keep diligent records on their training records. So. <laughs> Good group of people. And what's interesting too, I think, with maintenance nowadays is you kind of think it stays the same, but technologies and things are moving on. You know, even with the machine shop and automation and yeah, most definitely. Uh, that was one of the challenges going back to maintenance. Certainly was. Uh, you know, I freely admitted when I walked in that hey, my concept of aircraft maintenance is many years old. Um, and it, it took some time to kind of shift gears and understand how uh, aircraft maintenance is done today um, and, uh, and the capabilities we have when you look at uh, the machine shop and sheet metal and what they can do with their 3D printers and their CNC machines and stuff like that. Uh, really some amazing uh, stuff happening over there. Yeah, I mean, it's cutting edge and as far as technology-wise you know on, on every scale which is which is impressive so which is an oxymoron when you talk about a an airplane that uh, is uh, 60 years old plus right you know that we're uh, using cutting edge technology to keep that aircraft uh, working and and doing its mission day to day so yeah and you know with the with the machine shop and the 3d printer um that uh, you know we continue to upgrade both the 3d printer and and their cnc machines uh, we had a conversation with AFWorks, which is kind of the innovation arm of the Air Force, uh, just a week ago, uh, where we're kind of one of the leading wings, certainly in the Air National Guard, with that kind of technology and, and trying to pave the way for um, you know future use of that technologies, as well as um, being a regional hub for them as well. So, you know, the 101st can kind of lead in the way, certainly in the maintenance group in, in that uh, realm. Do you tell us a little bit about yourself personally? I mean, hobbies, things you like to do? Well, uh, been out here, I, I would say the main air guards, one of my hobbies, uh, certainly having been here for 32 years and uh, uh, being a member of the organization. Uh, outside of here, uh, this time of year, I'm an alpine ski coach. I volunteer over at Hamden Academy, uh, running their uh, alpine racing program. Uh, so that keeps me busy in the winter months, uh, keeps me out on the hill and uh, enjoying winter uh, and then uh, other than that just kind of family um, I've got uh, three daughters uh, one in high school and two in college now one about to graduate uh, hopefully this spring uh, and uh, they they keep me very busy um, they're all three of them are also alpine athletes so uh, that that's kind of our family thing is uh, being on the hill in the winter good place to be in the winter that's great oh great Thank, thanks for sharing that with us Again, it's uh, it's good for a lot of people so far removed from 505 and, and the agencies that you work to kind of put a name with the face and maybe they ski or something. So uh, good to have that out there. But uh, yeah, so today uh, we're meeting up because uh, you you kind of had an idea. You and Chief Osgood were kicking around. Talking with uh, Chief Osgood a couple weeks ago, um, I 
voiced a concern that uh, a lot of things have gone on this year and, and I'd hate to see the year go by without trying to capture them and recognize some of it. Um, both he and I were concerned that uh, the danger in trying to do a recap or a year in review is that you miss something. Um, and, uh, you know, that is a danger, but I didn't want to let that kind of stop us from trying to at least hit the high points in the year. Um, so, you know, with that being said, uh, you know, just, just because uh, you don't get a shout out during this podcast doesn't mean that we don't recognize your, your efforts. It's just uh, in a limited amount of time, we maybe couldn't recognize them. Uh, last week I was on a call and uh, our tag, General Farnham, was on the call um, and he, he summed up the new year. He said, if I've got two words uh, to encompass uh, New Year's Day here or New Year's Eve, it was uh, proud and optimistic. Um, and uh, man, as we roll into 2021, um, if I had to pick two words, those, those would be it. Um, proud of what we've accomplished in 2020 uh, with COVID and everything else going on. The unit really stepped up and, and did a lot. And I'm very optimistic for what 2021 holds for us. Um, to delve into that a little bit further, I think um, for those that have had contact with other units um, around the United States, both active duty, guard, reserve, um, we see that uh, some units kind of took a knee in COVID-19 and, and they, they pulled back and uh, slowed down their training, slowed down you know, everything and, and uh, went about it very, very cautiously. Um, but here at the 101st, um, yeah, we hunkered down to protect our missions, um, but we continue to operate. Um, and the wing, and when I say the wing, the whole wing. Um, everyone, all of our members contributed to everything we accomplished, and I think we have a lot to be proud of. So that, that's kind of what I'd like to do here today is kind of highlight some of those things and, and talk about them a little bit. In, in no particular order, I'll try and, try and run down through some of the stats. Um, so right off the bat, executing almost 900 sorties this year, um, 897 sorties over uh, 2,918 flying hours. Um, now that stat in itself really doesn't tell you a whole lot, um, but to put it in perspective, uh, last year we executed a, a little over 2,100 flying hours in the training environment, training our people, seasoning them, getting ready for them to deploy worldwide and do their jobs. Um, that made it the second high, highest training year since 2001. Um, so when you put that in perspective of COVID, where we had limitations on people coming in and we did the split shift things and all of that kind of stuff, um, that's a banner year um, during the pandemic. Couple with that, we did uh, about 136 um, sorties that were contingency operation type stuff. Um, 126 of those were overseas. Uh, so those are our folks doing missions in the deployed environment. And then the other part of those missions is our Homeland Defense mission. Uh, early on, we staunchly protected that mission with COVID, um, did a lot of things to try and mitigate the risk to that mission. Um, and we never faltered there. We were always mission ready, always ready to, to launch on that alert mission um, for Homeland Defense. And on top of that, in calendar year uh, 2020, we launched that sortie uh, eight times, which is unprecedented. Um, probably since 2001, we haven't launched our alert bird that often. Um, so again, all, you know, all good numbers, but when you 
put on at the scope that we were limited by COVID to um, pretty significant uh, accomplishments. People always wonder about the deployment piece. Um, so we had 81 members in three different AORs uh, this year. Again, that doesn't sound like a big number until you realize that COVID changed the face of how we deploy people. And when COVID really kind of hit us in March and we went into that very protective mode, um, we had a group that was uh, stuck overseas and they ended up stuck in that deployed environment for almost an additional month. And then when we, they came back, we quarantined them for another two weeks. Um, so those folks that were thinking they were on a 60-day deployment all of a sudden turned into 90-plus. Um, and then every subsequent deployment ended up sequestering, quarantining on the front end, getting over there, quarantining over there maybe, or when they come back, quarantining. Um, so again, kind of changing the face of that deployment model in a way that nobody was expecting. You know, again, challenges that we, we faced and, and faced well. Because that only not impacts the member deploying, but all the agencies around that are, we don't even probably realize sometimes that are, have to have the supplies ready, have to have the processing ready, the order, you know. You know, and speaking of mission support group, when it comes to the, that deployment machine, they're, they're a big participant in that. Um, you know, they had to kind of on the fly develop a way to do that as uh, socially distant or virtually as they could. So both the pre-deployment processing and, and post-deployment in processing um, was almost all virtual. Uh, and that's something that they came up with kind of, you know, on the fly um, and executed it very, very flawlessly um, and took care of our members, uh, you know, trying to make it as seamless as possible. So again, you know, kudos to uh, the organization for really stepping it up and, and um, you know, doing it in the maniac tradition of excellence. You know, we talk about COVID-19, right, and the state response, state active duty, um, and then 502F orders. Um, we had uh, uh, quite a few members that were doing that mission. Early on, it was uh, fit tests in long-term care facilities or helping move supplies around the state. Um, decontamination, we went into several long-term care facilities and cleaned them up. Um, we did train the trainers for the fit test mission, things like that. Um, we had members that were in the um, uh, MEMA, the Maine Emergency Management Association, and, and their control center um, working as liaisons um, to the point where those people were by name requested to stay, um, doing such a great job. Um, and then most recently, we've had members that are doing the uh, COVID mapping mission. So, you know, again, members of the Maine Air Guard supporting the state of Maine. You know, we think of COVID-19 as being a first responder, a, a medic type thing, but um, it's not just people from the med group that are doing that. It's people from all over the wing that are lending a hand and, and learning new skills and doing new things. So yeah. positive can-do attitude uh, at the wing is, is showing through in 2020. And it's good that they lean on us. They know, you know, we've got the body of influence of people that can can step up and perform those jobs with that flexibility to go from PA to do that or go from their other job to step up and, and learn that new skill. And I think they did a week and they're, they're off and running. So And then they bring that expertise back. They bring, you know, our folks that are, are embedded with MEMA right now um, are learning a skill set to be able to interact with uh, other agencies uh, that they would not otherwise have gotten. So, uh, you know, it's a, a benefit to the unit as well. And two, we don't have a lot of natural disasters here, but in the event we ever were to have that, having those relationships 
makes that process and makes that go better much more seamless yeah because you've already have those connections so i think i think it's a it's a win-win all the way around that people are able to do that sure is i look at uh, you know obviously being an air crew member i look at operations um and what they've gone through every calendar year starts a new training cycle so we're in a new training cycle we looked at last training cycle um, and really hit it out of the park there was um 85 formal training programs accomplished last year, um, which is a pretty high number. Um, but that also included 11 new crew members that got certified in the in our unit's mission last year. Um, almost an unprecedented number of, of training programs there. Um, and then they had nine recall programs. People had left the aircraft for some reason and, and are coming back in. Um, so again, when you look at COVID-19 and all the restrictions to coming into the state and out of the state, um, split shifts and trying to protect our Homeland Defense mission, the fact that you were able to get that done um, as a wing, uh, just an, an incredible number. What does a pilot actually have to do when they graduate? Um, when you graduate that, you graduate with a set of wings, but you're, um, you've never flown an actual major weapon system at that point. You, from there, you go to Altus. Um, they put you through a school so that you learn the KC-135 and then you come back to the unit where you learn um, the finer points of actually employing the aircraft um, in its mission sets. Uh, that usually takes about, give or take, six months um, and that time is in all flying. There's a lot of book work involved in the air mission study and things like that. Um, you graduate there and you're a mission-ready pilot, uh, but you're not an aircraft commander. And uh, you know, from there, it's kind of a license to learn over the next two to four years to become seasoned enough to be an aircraft commander. Um, on the boom operator side of the house, it's very similar. You go to boom school um, in the 135, you come back, um, and you have about six months worth of training to get um, you know, qualified in all of the different fighter types and, and receivers. Um, and again, you graduate and that's kind of your license to learn and get some seasoning. Throughout the year, you know, once you're a line crew member, there are semi-annual requirements. Um, we call them a bean count, essentially training items that you've got to check the box on. Uh, so many uh, rendezvous, so many air refueling, so many landings, approaches, and things like that. Um, on top of that, you have currencies. And, and those are usually uh, landings or for boom operators, contacts and things like that. And that just ensures that your proficiency stays high enough. For a, for a brand new uh, pilot that you know, has graduated from mission certification training, uh, we really look to have them come out you know, twice a week would be nice to fly twice a week. Once a week is kind of the bare minimum for them to keep those skills fresh and, and to build um, experience in the aircraft. You know, looking at, at the rest of the wing, one of the statistics I, I saw just yesterday was uh, 9.3 million gallons of fuel handled, of jet fuel handled by our LRS folks, our POL folks. Security forces and their uh, UAS program and counter UAS program. Uh, we have down in security forces um, an enterprise leader in, in that effort, um, both the uh, Headquarters Air Force and NGB look to our folks in security forces uh, to develop those programs. Um, you know, so we're continuing that effort in 2020.
Major Caroline Richley, probably one of the few names that I'll call out here, um, has been over in Montenegro uh, during COVID. Uh, she is our, I'm going to read this because I don't always get it right, bilateral affairs officer for Montenegro. Uh, so what that job entails is Montenegro is our uh, state partnership program uh, participant. So we help uh, that country develop its military. Um, and uh, Major Richley is our very first Air National Guard officer in that role. Um, up until this point, it's always been an Army uh, officer that's done that role for us. Uh, and she's over there helping develop our relationship with that country. So She really is the name and the face of, of the National Guard for, she is. for our, you know, us and the country, basically. Exactly. She is yeah. their, their point of contact um, with, with the National Guard and the U.S. military. Um, so, you know, pretty, pretty impressive uh, position for her to be in. Um, and again, in, in COVID-19 uh, pandemic, um, having to deal with all the intricacies of that, um, crossing national borders and stuff like that, um, not, a, not an easy job. Yeah, she called us a few times because the sheer number of photos they needed for passports and embassy things, and, you know, there's a lot of requirements for her because uh, that she had, took her whole family as well. So she really uh, had a lot going on with that. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, FSS, uh, I worked a project with them uh, this fall, uh, and, and really the outcome there was huge. Um, we identified some manpower issues on our manning document, um, worked through about 103 different manpower actions to get things corrected. Um, and the, the upshot of that is we uncovered several resources that were going underutilized here in the wing. Um, manpower resources that we could use in other places to get work done. And so just a huge effort there uh, to get that done. And it's one that's still, you know, still going on in the background. Uh, so again, you know, uh, during the pandemic and, and being uh, working remotely, our members are still working hard uh, to get the job done. So again, uh, you know, kind of a shout out to FSS for, for that. Yeah, again, one of those things that I had, you know, people have no idea that's going on behind the scenes, the amount of time and hours and maybe a little frustration trying to get some of that figured out. Uh, oh boy, you know. yeah, a, a project that we thought we could we could probably wrap up in about a month um, through interactions with NGB and so forth, have drug on for about a four month uh, project uh, that's still, again, like I said, not finished, but uh, we're well on our way. Um, and certainly one that's reaping benefits right now for the wing, uh, just because we've, we've got those resources now actually being used. So, And, and speaking of COVID and FSS, um, 299 members um, out processed for training uh, during calendar year 2020. Um, and COVID has made that incredibly complex. Um, again, trying to do as much of it as virtu virtually as possible. Um, and then just the logistical challenges of this school won't accept somebody until they've quarantined. Or that school wants them to actually deploy down there and quarantine in place. Um, and those things are changing day by day. Um, and again, FSS is, is working through that every day and, and making it happen. So uh, just, a, you know, another example of maniacs doing, doing the job and doing it well. A lot of moving pieces. And, you know, I'm sure there are several members that had their classes canceled short notice. Um, 
and you know again FSS has to work through all of that find you a new class um, work through whatever the issues are so lots of challenges lots of frustration too um, but again uh, you know stepping up and making it happen pivot a little bit to MXG like I said I, I left uh, the maintenance group here in in August uh, so I got to uh, go through the first part of COVID certainly with the group um, when I left, that cascaded a change in the maintenance group, and uh, Colonel Batchelder reminded me that they had uh, all four command positions change uh, in the last four months. Um, and for the maintenance group to continue operations um, is just a tes testament to the leadership down there, uh, the senior enlisted leaders down there, uh, keeping things working while all those command positions changed. Um, you know, really, really a great job by, by those folks. Um, one of the numbers that Colonel Batchelor threw out at me was uh, about $214,000 in unfunded um, requirements were, were executed last year. Uh, so some of that was using resources that uh, were left unspent because of COVID. Um, but a lot of it was that organization going out and finding money, uh, going to NGB and, and finding resources that would fund those unfunded requests. Um, so, you know, huge effort there, um, and that just puts that organization that much further ahead uh, when it comes to the following year's budgets and things like that. So, uh, appreciate the hard work that those, those folks are doing. An effort that kind of has crossed the wing, uh, both the civil engineering and maintenance group, is the new fuel cell. Uh, that effort's progressing uh, despite COVID. Um, looking at and I think the thing that I'm proud about there is not only are we looking at that no fuel cell, um, you know, hey, we just need to replace the fuel cell. No, the, the organization, both C and maintenance group are looking at, hey, how does that fuel cell work into our future plans and improving our capabilities and maintenance? Um, so they're not just happy with uh, a brand new building. They want that building to be innovative um, and ready to support future missions. Um, and, uh, you know, again, Doing all of that virtually via Teams meetings and things like that with COVID is not easy. Trying to communicate that kind of stuff. Uh, so doing a, just a bang up job there. And, and most recently uh, within the maintenance group, um, we have obviously our aircraft go to depot maintenance every five years. Uh, the last jet that we had come back from depot maintenance uh, failed its check flight down at depot uh, numerous times and Depot really couldn't put their finger on what the problem was. Um, they, they thought they fixed it and sent it back to us. And of course, uh, our maintenance group does a very thorough acceptance inspection when I got here. Um, and knowing that it had a problem down in, in Depot, uh, they really dug into it and were able to uncover the, the underlying problem, re-rig the aircraft um, and, and clear up that discrepancy. Um, one that, that Depot was befuddled with and, and couldn't fix. Um, so, you know, again, a testament to our, our ability to get things done and, and uh, understand the systems of that 60-year-old uh, airplane is, uh, is really cool to see. Does that make you feel as a guy that's uh, in, in, in the seats? Uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, our maintenance makes me feel good about it. Um, I, I don't always have that warm fuzzy sometimes. Yeah. Um, 
with with other jets, but uh, I I am thoroughly convinced that a jet turned out by our professionals um, is going to be safe to fly. Um, not only safe to fly, but fully mission capable. And I, I think I've worked my way around the wing. Uh, Med Group is is the last one. Uh, like I said, the 502F folks, the people on, on those um, COVID orders, state active duty and so forth, a lot of those tend to come from uh, the Med Group, but not all. Um, we kind of already talked about those folks, but uh, I think the statistic that... Um, that the med group gave me most recently that, that kind of hits me is uh, ranked most ready medical group in the Air National Guard enterprise for the second and third quarters of 2020. Um, and again, that's, that's right in the heart of COVID. Um, so they kept, they were able to keep up on their training and their requirements to the point where they beat all other Air National Guard medical units um, to be the most ready um, you know, in the enterprise. That's an impressive statistic. The other highlight for them, we have the first uh, surgical technician in the Air National Guard to complete that program. A critical care nurse, again, the first critical care nurse in the Air National Guard that's going to deploy with a, a ground surgical team. And that sounds cool, but when you realize they're, the training burden to get those people ready to assume those roles and go do those missions in the COVID environment, um, that's just a, a heavy lift that the med group was able to do to prepare those people to go out the door um, and, and do those missions in, you know, probably very austere environments. Those folks aren't not busy right now in their civilian careers. Um, most of our uh, medical professionals down in that group are actively engaged in their civilian jobs, um, either doing their civilian job or with, with COVID. Uh, so for them to be able to break the time out to do that extra stuff and and again to say number one medically ready in the Air National Guard during that time frame that that says something to those the dedication of those professionals down there uh, so as I said at the outset um, my fear with doing something like this is that we leave somebody out um, and uh, realize that uh, that if if you're that person um, it's, it's not because uh, I don't value what you, you've done for the organization. Uh, it's just not enough time in, in a podcast here to, to tell all of the great things that we've done uh, in an entire calendar year. Uh, so I'll, I'll sum it up with just I am damn proud of the Maniacs um, and what they've been able to accomplish in, in 2020. And I'm highly optimistic that... Uh, 2021 is going to be a better year for us. We're going to build upon everything that we've learned and done over this last year, the new ways of doing business, virtual meetings, teams, and all of that kind of stuff. We're going to, we're going to take that to the next level um, and have an even better 21. And uh, I'm optimistic that with uh, the vaccines and the other stuff that's coming out that uh, eventually we'll get on the other side of the COVID-19 pandemic and and we'll have it in the rearview mirror, mirror and, and get back to something that's more normal. Some of these changes have forced us to do things differently and, and differently isn't necessarily bad either. You know, we've kind of adapted with that, with the team's meetings and, and, and maybe some of this is gonna be embraced going forward that maybe we can save more time or maybe we can do a virtual training that more people can attend. 
uh, and not have to, you know, move across base or whatnot. I know yeah, definitely. People are innovating all over. Bobby Joe's one that's trying to do her, you know, she kind of seems like she's spearheading classes that way. Yeah. We kind of want to get involved. You know? Our SARC is about to uh, do a virtual uh, victim's advocate course, um, and it's going to entertain not just a few members of our unit, there's going to be another dozen people from across the enterprise that are going to be uh, trained. Uh, so, you know, two things there. Uh, one, we're getting that give and take across the enterprise, but uh, the Maniac brand, that Maniac excellence um, is, is, being, uh, is going beyond our borders, right? And, you know, there's going to be a dozen SARCs that are going to be trained by our professionals. Uh, just that, that's a cool thing in itself. Um, and you talk about the, the stuff we've learned with doing things virtually. Um, I'm admittedly a dinosaur. You know, uh, I have trouble texting, let alone setting up a, a meeting, a virtual meeting. Um, but I've had to adapt and overcome. And um, yeah, there's better ways of doing business nowadays. And uh, we're going to embrace those technologies. And, and uh, I think it's going to speed, uh, speed our communications up and enhance our communications with, uh, with our members. So definitely going to take advantage of that kind of stuff. I think we've got a lot to be proud of um, and I uh, hope that people take an opportunity uh, this drill to to pause for a moment, reflect on 2020 and, and realize uh, all of those great things that we did um, in 2020 and, and be proud of it. Take, yeah. take a moment. Definitely. Any big goals for you as the vice wing commander? Any, any initiatives you're working on you feel comfortable talking about? Uh, we're continuing to work, um, like I talked about, the, uh, the manning document piece and the resourcing piece. My focus um, is, is really to enable the wing to do its job better. Um, now, whether that's uh, helping work the promotion process, the hiring processes, uh, recruiting and retention, things like that, um, I really want to uh, plow the road of any roadblocks um, streamline things and and make it easier for the wing to do its job that's that's kind of where i'm where i'm at again Carl, i appreciate you taking the time and and uh, i hope a lot of people get to to see you a little better put a name with the face and it's when uh, we're having a little less virtual they get to say hello in person here and there or, or see you out and about so uh yeah appreciate the time and, and look forward to uh, catching up with everyone this drill uh it's going to be busy and people are going to have a lot of stuff going on but uh, hopefully uh, we'll still be able to connect in some ways and, and keep our meetings and, and uh, still touch base. So yeah, it'll, be it. a, it'll be a busy drill with the UEI and then just trying to keep normal business going. So I uh, appreciate everybody's efforts and uh, looking forward to that, that uh, great 2021. Thanks. Like Colonel Gillis just said, we are in inspection season. What better time to have an inspection than at the start of the new year, right? Resolutions, plans, goals, improvement. As you may or may not know, the UEI is here. We've talked about it, we've planned for it. Unit Effectiveness Inspection. I have an EPUB sitting here in front of me that says that UEI is a continual evaluation conducted by functional entities, all designed to evaluate the integration of different levels of command in the Air Force. Sounds important. And it is. You know, and as, as General Roy once said, 
Inspections aren't about performing well while the inspection is happening. It's about exceeding performance standards all along. Day-to-day -day workflow. Do what we do and we'll be just fine. I think that's pretty good advice. The inspectors will be around. So stop them, talk to them, don't be shy. They're here to help. Say hi. They're here to help us be better than we already are. And look at it this way. The maniacs have a worldwide reputation for excellence. So let's knock this out of the park. And just like the Patriots' chance in this season's playoffs, it's over. Take the time to reflect on what Colonel Gill has talked about. We had a busy year, and we have a busy year ahead of us. Let's get after it. Check us out online by searching 101 STARW, videos, pics, stories, all that jazz. And if you're on the interwebs, check out the Maine Air Guard recruiting team online by searching Maine Air Guard Recruiting. All right, that makes sense. Share their pages by telling your friends, family, family friends, you know, everyone. Get the word out. Have a great drill and a great inspection. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.